0: I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. Carrie Webb has always seemed to me to be this formidable figure in sport. She's someone I've admired, looked up to, and been in awe of for so long. It's mind-boggling what she's achieved in the game. Seven majors, 41 LPGA Tour wins, over 70 career wins, and entry into the World Golf Hall of Fame. The greatest golfer Australia has ever produced, male or female, and all that having come from the very small country town of Ayr in North Queensland. But it was four years ago that we were both part of a working group looking at how we could boost the number of girls playing golf, and it was then that I got to personally know the friendly, approachable, down-to-earth and passionate Kari. It's a passion and a personal mission she has not just for the game, but to create a better future in the game for young girls. But after over 20 years of playing golf all over the
1: world, Curry still loves returning to Australia. I do. There's no other tournaments in the world where I get um, home crowd advantage and, and uh, full support. So, you know, early on in my career, it was probably a little overwhelming for me and I didn't probably enjoy it as much. But pretty quickly I, I learned how great it was to come home and play in front of the home crowd and, and on courses that, you know, is where I learnt to play golf on Australian golf courses. So yeah, I try to make sure that that's a priority every year. Um, I love as well that you get back to to air.
0: I love that you're you've you've eclipsed the global sporting stage and and reached such incredible heights in your career. Yet you come from really humble beginnings back in North Queensland in Air, which is a population of. 8,738, <laughs> according to Wikipedia. Uh, I find it so fascinating that that's where you were born and that's where you grew up. But what was it like
1: growing up in air in the 70s and 80s? Um, well, thanks for making it 70s and 80s.
0: That's so. good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an 80s um, girl as well. It's okay. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I obviously didn't know anything else. But, you know, when I look back on it, I think um, it was, for me, it was a huge advantage growing up in a small town and and back then, you know, I feel like all the facilities that we had in in the town, you know, all the sporting facilities, were of great quality. And and you go back there every year. You love, yeah. I have a place in Townsville now, um, and I'm now that I'm not playing as much, um, I'm spending more time back in Australia. And so I have a place in Townsville, which is about an hour north. And one sister lives there with her family, and then um, my other sister and my parents and one grandmother still live in there. I'm lucky in a way that all my family are all close together because in the years when golf was full-time, it was Mm. good that I didn't have to travel all over Australia to catch up with everybody.
0: And you mentioned your grandmother there and she had a part to play in you finding golf, didn't she?
1: Yeah, she did, her and my grandfather and my parents. They took up golf right around when I was born. So they were um, all very avid golfers, but Uh, My grandparents had two businesses that they ran and they worked six days a week and Sunday was their only day off. And amazingly, they'd come and scoop me up at about seven in the morning on Sunday and and take me out with them for nine holes. You know, I didn't have real clubs back then, um, just the plastic ones. (laughs) And as I got older and stronger, I got really frustrated because obviously that, you know, the head would fly off the club and, you know, so they, they were the ones that promised me for my eighth birthday that I'd get a real set of clubs. That's cool. But yeah. did you
0: actually play on the course with the plastic clubs? How did that work?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, no, um, you know, it was a plastic ball. Um, yeah, I, I didn't play all nine holes and, and, you know, at four years old I couldn't <laughs> walk nine holes. So <laughs> uh, half of the uh, nine holes was me riding on my granddad's pull cart on the back of it. <laughs> so he was pulling his clubs and me along. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. my gosh.
0: Fit bloke. And then by the time, did you say you were eight? They promised yeah eight that was when I
1: got a yeah a real set of clubs. That's very,
0: very cool. And was it yeah. love at first sight for you and golf? Did you just love it? or was it just hanging out with the grandparents?
1: Yeah, I think it was and and my parents, I think um Air Golf Club at that time was quite a young golf club. so a lot of people, my parents' age mm-hmm. were members. and so it was a very social thing for my parents. so they they'd play on a Saturday afternoon and Um, My grandparents who had worked, you know, six days looked after us in the afternoon and then they'd drop us out there, you know, in the afternoon after mom and dad had finished and they'd be up in the the clubhouse having a drink. And, you know, there was a bunch of kids uh, my age, so we'd just hang out downstairs and run amok and, but just have a really good time. So, you know, we'd play Red Red Rover between two bunkers, you know, so we would, <laughs> you know, Safe was diving into the bunker and, you know, cool. so That's awesome. it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a really great atmosphere and I, it's a place that I wanted to be at. Did you
0: look up to any other female golfers? How did you know that golfing was something that you wanted to do?
1: I think golf, well, men's golf was Tel you know, the Australian summer was televised a lot more. They had a bigger Mm. schedule. Um, So, Mm. you know, I I was, you know, just grew up watching that. That's how I knew that there was such a thing as a professional golfer. And my coach, Calvin Heller, because we didn't have a pro, he was like the um, club champion, the head green superintendent um, out Mm. there and really good friends with my parents. So he was the best player in the club. So I always thought he was a pro. I remember asking mom, is Calvin (laughs) a pro? She's like, no, he's not. But you know, I think professional golf just always intrigued me and um i didn't I didn't really have any female role models because golf female golf was um not visible at all. Um, mm. So I started playing junior golf when I was eight, so it was at eighty three maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time I ever saw live women's golf on TV was in nineteen ninety and and I'd already yeah. told my parents years before that that I wanted to be a professional golfer. So, wow. um, you know, I, I got the, the monthly golf magazines and, um, you know, there was little bits in there. Actually, one of them I wrote a letter to the editor and asked for, for more female content. Um, <laughs> and awesome. they've actually reprinted that a couple of times. Your letter. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Did you get a um, response straight away from them? Or did I, you- never,
1: I never got a response, just that they put it in the magazine. Yeah. How old were you at that time? Uh, Maybe 13 or 14. That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, that was my only, you know, it's not like now you can, you know, go on the internet and look up anything you want Mm. um, and and have your role models because they're right there in front of you. Mm. The golf magazines was my only content that kept me up to date.
0: I love that you're an advocate for um, for women's sports and a champion for women's sports right back then as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> so what was it? Was it Greg Norman was a big hero of, of yours? Was that yeah, the point I, when you...
1: Yeah, I mean, those teen years was when he was number one in the world and he mm. won his first British Open. Well, not even teen, pre-teen. When I was um, 11 for my 12th birthday, my birthday is really close to Christmas, um... Because I was born close to Christmas, my mom didn't want me to ever get just one present. But my mm. for this birthday, my mom made an exception because my grandparents, um, Greg Norman was coming back to Australia to play in the Queensland Open at Coolangatta Tweed mm-hmm. on the Gold Coast, and my mum's sister, my aunt, lives down there. So um, for my birthday Christmas present that year, my grandparents flew me down there to go to the Queensland Open and and watch Greg Norman live. So that was my first um, professional event that I went to. And and that was the event that I came back and said to mum and dad, I want to be a professional golfer when I grow up.
0: What kind of training were you doing? Like you knew from 11 that you wanted to be a professional golfer. So how serious did you take it?
1: Yeah, I I was still doing tons of other stuff though. You know, I played all different sports with my primary school. Mm -hmm. Um, I was playing... Um, indoor cricket. I couldn't play proper cricket because that was a boy sport, mm. but I played indoor cricket. One of my, well, my best friend at primary school's parents owned an indoor cricket center, so cool. um, Yeah, so that, that was, was fun. Yeah. Yep. Nice. And uh, and then I also um, had guitar lessons, and I actually tap dance for seven. Carrie years. Webb tap dance. <laughs> <Yes>. Really. <laughs> yep. Wow. I think I think it was to. It was probably more to make. People around me comfortable that I wasn't just a tomboy. I could be a little girl as well. Wow. So,
0: <laughs> seven years, did you say?
1: Yeah, grade one to grade seven. Wow, so yeah. you're quite you're good. But then. I didn't do any like contests or anything like that. I didn't. I, I just that didn't appeal to. I didn't like how the teacher wow became like you know, crazy when we had to prepare for something. So I didn't do any of that stuff. I, I mean, I, we did end of year concerts and stuff, but that was, that, that oh was Oh my it. gosh,
0: to get those videos now, Carrie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the pictures are bad enough. I'm glad we don't have videos. <laughs>
0: do you still, if you've got heavy shoes on and there's like a loud floor or a wooden floor, do you still feel that need to just kind of do, I don't know, a shuffle ball change
1: or something on yeah, there? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Although, um, there's so many people in my life that want to see me do it and I'm, I refuse. I, you, you could feed me a million drinks and I still won't do I it. So, it. Yeah.
0: Oh, I'd love to give that a go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned before about your coach, Kelvin Haller. You had a really special
1: relationship with him, which was from a really early age. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, his parents owned the news agents uh, next door to my grandparents' um, shops. So uh, my mom and him grew up together um, and he was the club champion and and also um, the green superintendent uh, out at the club. So mum just said, listen, she she seems to really like this. You know, if you see her out there, can you just keep an eye on her and make sure she's doing the right things? And so it was a very informal relationship to start with and Calvin was out there every day. Like he'd finish work and then he'd go and play golf and Mm -hmm. I'd caddy for him, you know, in the club championships and stuff like that. Um, And then it sort of, you know, as I got better, I think he got um, more keen – to coach me. And, um, I think even at a young age, I, I thought of Calvin as, as a second dad, cause I spent mm. tons of time with him. Mm. Um, and then, uh, when, when I was 16, um, he, um, walked into hospital and didn't walk out, um, and has been a quadriplegic since actually it's going to be 30 years this year. Wow. Yeah. He was away, uh, Townsville didn't have a spinal unit. So Calvin and his wife Vivian had to live in Brisbane for I think it was three or four months mm. just to rehabilitate him enough to come home and um, ever since he moved back home um, we just went back to him coaching me um, Wow! and we had such a great relationship before and mm. had worked together for so long that you know he was able to communicate to me what what needed to happen rather than um, put his hands on me or or show me how to do it.
0: Yeah I think that's that's really special, isn't it? Like yeah. it, it wouldn't happen with any coach being able to verbally, especially with golf, explain mm. yeah. what he wanted to do. But did, is that just a sign of your relationship with him that you were able to communicate in a really different way? Yeah, I way? think so.
1: I mean, it didn't come with its fights, <laughs> you know, <we'd> get frustrated <laughs> with one another at times. But we we did have a very, or still do have a very um, special relationship. And he was my only coach through the best part of my career. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was spending probably only two weeks, maybe three weeks a year in North Queensland, mm. you know, so I was getting in-person lessons, you know, two weeks a year. Wow. Because he then, didn't go over to the US. No, yeah, I couldn't travel that far. So um, how he, would he, he, he... Did, he did travel to when we played uh, on the Gold Coast at Royal Pines for the Australian Women mm-hmm. Ladies Masters. He'd come down for that. Yeah. Um, but they, even that started to get too much for... Yeah, you know yeah. for him but also his wife I and mean, stuff that you have to travel with for him so it was the start of the internet and um yeah. and, and email and all of that um which makes me sound really old but <laughs> um the way we were able to stay on top of things with my swing was I'd go to the golf course video my swing you know set up a tripod put a you know camera and then go home connect to dial up Internet <laughs> download download the swings on the computer and then email them to him and then yeah. then by the time he saw them and then we talked, you know, and with the time change, it was like two days before I got a solution to the problem. Oh, wow. So, you know, it it but that's how we did it. Um, yeah. And, and I thought that was amazing that we could do it like that way. Yeah, and now yeah. and now you can have a live FaceTime lesson. Yeah. You know, and get feedback straight away. So yeah it's definitely changed a lot. You
0: didn't want it any other way you didn't want another coach?
1: Well things were going so great I didn't Mm. I didn't see the need to it 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 did make it challenging at times but um, even when in 2003 Calvin and I had started making swing changes and before that we hadn't really done that Mm. so we'd just worked on what was there Mm. so when I started making changes that was really hard to do by myself um, for most of the year and so Ian Triggs who I'd I'd Mm -hmm. known since I was 14 Um, he was coaching Rachel Hetherington at the time and Mm -hmm. so he offered to help us out and you know there's not a lot of coaches that were would have been willing to say that you know they were my coach but that I could Mm -hmm. also say that Calvin was my coach and you know I never wanted Calvin not to be in the picture yeah and Triggsy knew that yeah and so yeah so I worked with Triggsy for 10 years and you know he'd He'd come up to air sometimes, and and the the three of us had work together and figure things out. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a prerequisite too. That, you know, when I go back to when I go back to air, I'm going to work with Calvin, and and, and yeah, yeah, he's going to be a part of this, and he was fine with that too. So I've been very lucky to to have two guys that put their ego aside just to to help me, yeah. and, and and also understood the relationship I had with Calvin.
0: Now, when you were a teenager, a big turning point for you in your career was when you did win that Greg Norman scholarship, Mm -hmm. which included going over to the US and spending a week with Greg Norman.
1: Tell me more about this opportunity. Uh, It was amazing. Yeah. So I landed in West Palm Beach really late at night and his brother-in-law picked me up and took me back to his house, you know, in complete darkness and put me up in one of his guest house houses how old were you, <laughs> you at that? Uh, 17 at one of his guest houses yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then i went to sleep and then the next day there's a knock on the door and i go to the door in my pajamas and and greg Norm's standing there so <laughs> 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 um so that was very surreal but it, it was such a great week um he was very giving and um we played golf with him um he also had to Um, he was a touring professional for a golf course in, um, Orlando. So he took us up there. Um, and he took us to Universal Studios and we had, um, VIP. So... We didn't have to wait in line and got in the best seat in every ride and (laughs) and that ruined me for those parks because (laughs) a couple of years later when I was back there living there and I had to line up, I was like, this sucks.
2: But I know know Greg
0: Norman. (laughs) uh, Do you remember me? I was here a couple of years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So yeah. what other things did you have to do with him? Because the whole idea is for him to, to show you what, what he does and his preparations. Is that, is that yeah, right? Yeah, so
1: he wasn't playing a tournament, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, he he made us get up with him and work out, which he worked out at like 5.30 in the morning. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Um, we only did that once, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, but, uh, you know, he had, um, you know, back in the day when you worked on your own clubs, he had his own little... Um, you know, set up there where he'd work and fix his clubs and, and you know, mm. change the lies and lofts and all of that. So w- that was the first morning we were there. we were sitting in there and, um, and he had all the clubs he'd ever played with on racks. Wow. Yeah. And he was just talking to us about our golf and what we thought we wanted to do. And and then he said, oh, if there might be something through that door that y- you might be interested in. And we opened the door and it was where he kept all his Ferraris. So oh, well. <laughs> walk in there is like seven or eight Ferraris oh, on well. on blocks, and so it was just you know, for me that was like I don't I don't think I'm ever going to own eight Ferraris, but <laughs> you know it was like the ultimate of yeah. reaching the pinnacle of of golf, and yeah. I think that inspired me to to want to try and do that um, on the women's side. How did
0: that visit and that trip? How did that change things for you as a golfer?
1: Well, one. Um, you know, you, you dream about being a professional golfer and, you know, eventually that's going to lead to playing in the States. And, you know, we were in Florida for a week and that, I mean, that's really feels a lot like Queensland, except the population's larger, but, Mm. you know, I didn't really see that it was a, it was any different to living in Australia. So I think even just that week was, oh yeah, I can, I can live over here. (laughs) You know, it's not that big a deal, but uh, yeah, it just sort of, I think it gave a visual to the dreams that I had, you know, like this is where I want to be eventually. I don't yeah. know when that's going to be, but that's that's the goal. I want, you know, I want to have, you know, have a house in Florida and, you know, like just all that stuff. Hate You know, that's what, yeah, hate <laughs> Ferraris. <laughs> you say Florida was a lot like
0: Queensland because I just find it fascinating how this girl from air population 8,000 from an early age was then living over in Florida and the US, like what was the, was that just on, but you say it's a lot like Queensland. Was it a big shock? I I could imagine that being a big shock for a country girl to then go live over there. Was it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I look at it now. So um, I played a year on the European tour Mm -hmm. um, in 95. That was my first year. And then I went to the States. So I'd had a year abroad. I just I don't know. I I mean, I look at it now and I go, how did I just, I just went (laughs) over there and took everything in my stride. Like, there was nothing. I don't have any memories of that time of ever being overwhelmed. Like, overwhelmed. Well, overwhelmed by, um, well, I've played really well at the start of my career. I'm going to buy a house and, you know, buy a house (laughs) in Orlando. And, you know, like I've been over there for two minutes and got a house in Orlando and bought a car. And all I can think of is that it was, you know, I I dreamt about it and I'd already put myself there. Yeah. So I I it didn't it didn't overwhelm me at all, which as you get older you you know, because I said to my mum, I was over there by myself. Mm. You know, and yeah. she's like, I know, we worried about you, but you didn't seem <laughs> you didn't seem like it worried you and I was like, I don't think it did. Yeah. Because in nineteen ninety five, you
0: were just twenty when you won your first British Open, which wasn't a designator major back then. You then went on to the LPGA Tour and won just your second tournament and finished the year with four wins. Your first major came in 1999 and then six of your seven majors came in just three years. What was it about Carrie Webb which made her so dominant in those years?
1: Mm, um, I mean, it didn't come easy. It was a lot of hard work and there Mm. there were bumps in the road but not on the golf course. I think the golf course was always... Um, my safe place you know I Mm. I I went there and didn't matter what was going on outside I could shut everything out and um, and again I just think I was so I I had such a single-minded goal from such a young age that that I just did it I, I mean I can't tell you now how I did it because even a couple of years after that dominant period when I you know and things weren't that bad but I just wasn't I wasn't winning as much mm. as I was or, or playing as consistently well as, as I was. And so, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to get back to that place. And, mm. and people are like, we've had all these amazing, you know, wins and experiences just draw upon, upon them. But I, I never had any, I didn't have a, um, you know, a system or the way I went about things. I just mm. did it, you know, and just, you know, hit the ball, found it, hit it again, you know. And I mean, I make it sound really simple and that I, there wasn't a lot of brain function going on, but <laughs> I really did understand the game and I understood how to score. And I did feel nerves, but I think, you know, mostly I, you know, once I felt those nerves, I knew I was in contention. So, you know, I just lived for, for that feeling. And when I, you know, when I wasn't winning, I I wasn't happy.
0: Because you are pretty tough on yourself, weren't you? Yeah, I yeah,
1: I was. Um, now reflecting, you think, I wish I wasn't so hard on myself but then would I have been as good yeah you know so it's hard to you know I I don't have regrets on how hard I was on myself because I knew it made me the person I was it it made me tough it made me a tough competitor people Mm. people knew when they saw my name on the leaderboard that I wasn't going anywhere that Mm. they were going to have to play well to beat me
0: yeah and you
1: still had that tough mentality
0: yeah for so long and you're still playing the game you yeah. <laughs> have you changed now the way you play? Are you not so tough on yourself
1: now, or is that just ingrained in you to be just so um, mentally? I'm definitely not as tough as as I was. I've only been playing part time the last couple of years, and mm. and the reason for that really is to to get a bit of love back in the game. Um, did you lose the love? Yeah, I did. Um, but I think it was you know I've been really fortunate with my body. I've I've never had any time off for injury, so I've never actually had an injury of any substance ever mm. and but but with that there was no downtime you know golf's mm. all year round and I played a full schedule and up until um the end of 2017 so you know I'd been going at it for over 20 years and asking 110 percent of myself mm. um you know for that time and I just got burnt out I wasn't playing well and you know and then back when I first started you know my mom said oh my you know, she Kari sacrificed so much when she was young, but I don't actually ever see what I did as a sacrifice. Mm. I wanted to do that. Mm. You know, I, you know, it didn't bother me that I missed a friend's wedding or, mm. or someone's birthday. Uh, you know, I'd choose golf over that all the time. Mm. Um, but as I got older, and you know, and possibly if, if the results were still as good, you, you'd be enjoying it more obviously. But because mm. it wasn't up to the standard I wanted then i felt like i was i was missing out on life mm. and so the part time golf has been to real you know it's been actually been really great because um when i am out there playing i'm like oh i really you know <laughs> this has been an awesome life you know like and i and i do like to play golf and i like to compete when were those years that you suffered burnout
0: what what years were we talking
1: uh 16 17 like 17 was when i realized i was
0: that's a long time into your career isn't it
1: yeah yeah. I mean, I, there was probably other points during that time, but mm. I just pushed through it. Um, but at 17, I, in, at the end of 17, I could have just walked away and not played anymore. Um, yeah. But I also was old enough to have the perspective that that's, golf has been so great to me that I should, should never leave the game feeling the way I do about it because I didn't, I didn't want to feel the way I did. Yeah. So the part-time golf, although I would have liked to have played better, It still just it changed my perspective on on everything, which was good. And that was from twenty eighteen. That yeah. So the last two seasons, yeah. Yeah.
0: When you were twenty five, you qualified for the World Hall of Fame of Golf. Yeah. You're inducted. Were you thirty or thirty one?
1: When that happened. Yeah, not just short of my thirty first birthday.
0: That's a huge moment, isn't it? From the girl. Yes. The girl from Air. Yeah. How big a moment was that?
1: Well, I don't think you ever set out to um, you don't set a goal to ever be in a Hall of Fame, I don't think. Um, From 30. Yeah, well, qualifying at 25. So I knew I was going to be inducted once I'd played 10 years. Um, And so and the criteria has changed now, actually. Um, you have to be 45 or five years retired. So while I mean, it it did give me pause to reflect. I was still too young to I mean, if I was getting inducted now, it. Would be much more reflective for me, and yeah. and and more full circle sort of thing, rather yeah, than yeah. I was still in the middle of my career, you know, and I was getting inducted on the year that the first year that I hadn't won on the LPGA. So you know, I was still right. like that bratty, like push yourself, like disappointed in how I'd played, and now I'm getting inducted in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Like yeah, yeah, like I also was old enough to. To understand the moment, and and I totally enjoyed it. Um, you know, there was um, all my family were over. Mm. You know, we had the World Golf Hall of Fame induction as well as the LPGA Hall of Fame induction. So we we had two great parties, and <laughs> um, you know, I really, really did. And I and it did give me pause and time to reflect over those. 10 years, mm. 10, 11 years, but then it was on, it was on for the next, you know, to the next thing, you know, what are we, how are we going to get better for next year? Yeah, yeah. You know, so you um, I think it's... Would to be inducted later? I, well, yes and no. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't change how it happened, but, um, you know, now I, I wouldn't have a choice now. I would have, I would have had to wait. So, mm. and I think that's good because you're older and more mature to, you know, um, to understand what you've done and appreciate it more, I think. Yeah. I've heard you say a lot that you're a very private person and I try to find a
0: biography on you and I noticed that there were two books that were written about you within two years but a really, really long time ago. I thought there's so much that's happened since those early 2000s. Were you happy with the way that you were presented in those books and why were there two books so close together?
1: Um, I don't know why there were two books so close together. Um, One of them, Phil Treseder, wrote and, um, he was a journo and actually a, a really tough journo. He, uh, he was really hard on Greg Norman. So I was always, uh, <laughs> watch what is said around him, mm. but he ended up being one of my biggest fans. So the book he wrote, I I knew about and I participated in and my family participated in. And, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, I proved that and, you know, I, I'd already had, a, I guess my bumps in the road with with media and I guess being criticized for how I was on the golf course. I didn't smile enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't give media tons of access, um, especially into my personal space. You know, I just wanted to talk about golf. If you were going to talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up watching Greg Norman. Every time he stepped foot in Australia, they'd find some reason to give him a hard time. So mm-hmm. I think I was already on edge about that um and and then by the time these books were written you know i was definitely going into my shell and um the second book that you're talking about um i was tricked into participating in that book uh charlie happel was working for the age i don't know if he still does but um Mm. through my management he had said that he was doing um different interviews with different sports personalities for Sunday sporting section um and so my uh, manager IMG encouraged me to do it they thought it would be really good and you Mm -hmm. know you know I was like all right I'll do that um and then so we set up the time for the interview Mm -hmm. and then when the interview time came uh Charles told me that it wasn't going to be in the paper anymore he was writing a series of books on different sporting people Mm -hmm. so he was already there we're already doing the interview I was like all right whatever Mm. So did the interview um, and he, he came to asking me about my personal life and um, early in my career I had um, broken up with uh, my fiancé who caddied for me briefly at the start of my career and, you know, that made Woman's Day a new idea and mm. all of that and I, at, at that time I was like, I don't want to be in those magazines. Mm. Advice from a lot of my friends on tour was, you know, you don't have to share that side of yourself no. if you don't want to. So, yeah. you know, I'd sort of up until that point what well, that had been respected and mm. and my personal life um, was asked about that day and I said I didn't want to speak about it. Mm. Um, and then he went off obviously and did his own investigating and um, <laughs> uh, when the book came out, obviously I didn't even know a book was coming out mm. and the one excerpt from the book that came out was the investigating he had done It unfolded that I was dating a player on tour, which was true. Yeah. But it went to every newspaper in the country and, you know, I'm sure he felt good about himself, about, you know, getting the attention for his book. But for me, um, I was still learning or learning who I was as a Mm. person. Um, So... Not many people in my life knew that I was dating a woman. Mm. Um, my sisters did, but um, my parents didn't. So, you know, he mm. took that away from me. Mm. That's awful. Yeah. So, you know, that's why you probably ha- can't find anything else since then because I just, you know, I I pick and choose what I do um, in the media.
0: Oh, Kari, that breaks my heart. Because we're talking about the early 2000s. Yeah. So how is that sporting and that social landscape for gay women back then? How is it different to
1: how it is now? I just think in general with society it's different. It's – young kids it's just, you know, it's just, oh, you're gay? Oh, great. Okay, good. We can be Mm. friends. I'm straight. Whatever. You know, like it's not – it's just so fluid now and just, just so comfortable. Yeah. yeah. It's not an issue, you know, and it still was back then for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's just amazing that uh, how society has changed. I think it's, it, you know, I think there's still a long way to go, but, you know, you can definitely feel comfortable with who you are and not feel like it, um, in many ways that like in this instance, you know, mm. that, I wasn't keeping a secret, I was just figuring myself out, Mm. you know, before I let other people in my life know about it. And to have it so public as well. Yeah, this guy felt like he, you know, got some scoop and, you know, whatever, I hope he felt good about it. I can't imagine what that would be like, taking that news
0: away from you and making it so public.
1: Yeah, and I was in the States when it came out, so I couldn't even talk to my parents in person, so I had to talk to them on the phone. How, How did they react? Um, I mean, my, my dad probably wasn't ready to hear that news at the time. Um, mm. but my mum was, my mum and my dad's great now, but mm. my, my mum was great right from the beginning. So. Yeah. Did it take you a long time to, to come to peace with what happened and how it happened? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, I feel like everything that happens in your life shapes you one way or the other. And, you know, for me, I think maybe things wouldn't have been any different. I might have been still very, very private. and, and but That's um, understandable
0: that if something like that happens, you'd yeah. go into your shell. Yeah. 100%. Yeah.
1: Not, I
0: mean, not your shell, but you get emotional not trust about, the media
1: afterwards. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, I have such a, a much better relationship with the media now, but I think too because I'm just completely comfortable with who I am as a person and, um you know, happy in my life. So, mm. it, you know, I don't get written about as much, so it doesn't really... You know, I don't get worked up about um, mm. any of that stuff anymore. I'll move on to. I want to talk about because we've talked
0: about the Greg Norman Scholarship that that you won and that opportunity to go over to the US and stay with him for a week. Um, that was really the basis for you being so motivated and inspiring you to create the Curry Web series and the Curry Web Scholarship. Is that yeah. right? Can you tell yeah. me about about what you do
1: there? Yeah. So. Um that week with um greg was very impactful for me um Mm. and you know not many people have someone that's their idol that they look up to that you ever get the chance to meet them let alone you know live in their house and spend time with them and their family Mm. so i for years i had actually wanted to do something like that um and uh, when the AGU and the ALGU merged and became Golf Australia was when actually th- things started to work on and, and that front. I had I had talked to the ALGU for many years and it just, you know, their idea of what was what they wanted wasn't even close to what I wanted. Mm. But um, uh, anyway, we worked it out and the Curry web series started in um, 2007 and it's a series of events that the, the leading female players, amateur players in the country play in, and they um, get awarded points for their performances. And the top two girls uh, get um, monetary scholarship uh, to pay for travel to um, different tournaments or, mm-hmm. or equipment or what have you. But for me, the coolest part of the series has, has always been that um, they come to the US for a week. Most of the years, it was at the U.S. Open. I rented a We rented a house, we rented a house, and mm-hmm. the girls stay in the house with me, and you know, pretty much see everything that I do for mm-hmm. the week. The last few years, we've we've had it at the, um, the uh, Women's PGA Championship. Mm-hmm. But uh, when we first started, my my agent was like, "Are you sure you want it to do it at the U.S. Open?" And I was like, "I'm not sure. I don't. You know. I mean, those events are very big and." Mm. You know, I'm I'm a little more stressed than normal, and um, but I I was older, but but 2008 was the first year they came over. Mm. Um, the series went the end of '07 through beginning of '08, and I wasn't sure if if it was for me to have them at the U.S. Open, but mm. I was like, it's the biggest event we play, and this is what I want them to aspire to play in. Mm. Um, and so they came over. They you know walked inside the ropes during practice rounds and. Got to meet other players, and um, it was just the greatest. Like I, the (laughs) first year was everything that I could have hoped for, as far as the girls asking tons of questions and Mm. being super excited to be there. Mm. How I guess I felt I would have looked like when I was staying at at Greg's place for the week. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but you put your own preparation second initially. Yeah, but it actually inspiring those those young girls and those those juniors through.
1: I don't think I did though. I think it actually rejuvenated me a little bit that Mm. week. You know, like it's not like you ever get sick of playing a US Open, but um, instead of it being like a full on grind, you had a bit of a release at the end Mm. of the day because the girls would ask, you know, all these different questions that you didn't even think about.
0: And you could see that look in their eye. Yeah. Yeah, And
1: see that they were really Mm. learning and excited. And it's been fantastic. I don't know if we can if we can beat last year though. we um, yeah. <laughs> had we had a we had a bigger house than normal last year, so I invited um, Hannah Green and Sue O oh mm-hmm. to stay in the house with us, and they're they're past scholarship winners, mm-hmm. and and we had Becky Kay and Grace Kim, who are the cu- current scholarship winners in the house, and yep. so the uh, Stacey Peters, um, who's one of the first, yeah, one of the first winners who now uh works in high performance for golf australia so she was over as well so we're all in the house um and uh you know at the end of the week hannah hannah won and uh you just can't you can't top that Um, yeah you know that the girls got to to witness you know someone hannah is only a few years older than them so they've actually played with her Win a major and Mm. win a first tournament, and and it was a major. It was um, and Aussie as well. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I was the best mentor um that night, but I I did (laughs) Well after she won? (laughs) Yeah. I did teach them. I did teach them how to celebrate.
0: Yes.
1: The important things in life, Curry. (laughs) Yeah, I celebrated like I won. So.
0: (laughs) Did it feel somewhat like you'd won? I remember just listening to your press conferences afterwards and you were just like you're like a proud parent or a proud yeah, relative. Yeah, yeah, maybe
1: just say sister. Sister. I, mean, I,
0: I could be her parent,
1: but I try not to think that.
0: I did, I did read <laughs> a quote where you were like, I do feel like her mum or her sister.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I woke up the next day thinking about that and I was like... <laughs> When I was 22, how I was my mum, and she was my age, 44. Wow, and okay. I was like, Don't go there. Oh
2: no! <laughs> Does she think of me
1: as that? Like, <laughs> no, no.
0: The big sister, the big yeah, sister. Yeah. Um, it's been an incredible alumni for the
1: Curry Web series, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, it has. Yeah. You talk and about? And for me, it's been. I, I guess I've. I now appreciate what my parents have gone through all these years watching live scoring because <laughs> all my favourites are all uh, you know Curry Web series winners and. And um, so it's a long list and, yeah. you know, I'm watching live scoring and I'm like, oh no, she made a bogey, you know. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand the influence that you have had on those girls' careers with that alumni that, that you've had? You say O and Hannah Green, um, Stacey Peters. Minji Lee. Minji Lee, of course. Yeah. Julia yeah. Boland as well, yeah. who's now yeah. the ALPG. President, yeah. um, and actually, Julia is a friend of mine, and she says there's no way she would have been a professional golfer if not for the fact that she'd won and spent that week over yeah. with you. Yeah, in the actually, US. I,
1: I would agree because um, Julia came with Stacey Keating, Stacey Peters, and mm. Stacey was like a golf perv; like she knew everything about everything. And <laughs> and Julia said to me one night, I'll never forget it, because she's like, I don't know if I I should even think about being a professional golfer because I don't know any of this history. And I'm like, well, that doesn't stop you from,
2: mm.
1: you know, wanting to be a professional golfer. You don't have to know all this stuff. Mm. I said, you'll eventually learn. And so when I came over here, I didn't, you know, I knew very little, but you learn, you learn very quickly yeah, um, and learn, you know, who to appreciate and thank for everything they've done as past players. Mm. But yeah, I remember that conversation. Then Julia went on to go to college in the States mm-hmm. and then turn pro. So um, yep. that's really cool. And now leading um, ALPG
0: in Australia, which is yep. fantastic. How do you feel about the number of girls who are
1: playing golf in Australia now? You know, I'd definitely like to see the depth and, and more participation for sure. I, I think I noticed it probably three or four years ago, um, just in the depth of, the, the, the elite amateurs coming through, that, that you know, there just wasn't that depth there of mm. of great talent. And, you know, that just filters down to the fact that, you know, there there isn't tons of girls um, staying in golf. You know, a lot of them start, but it's it's keeping them in the sport, you know, through mm. those teen years. Um, Where are
0: we going wrong with the girls in golf? Not just girls in sport, but I just want to know specifically golf. Where are we yeah, going
1: wrong? Yeah, I think golf... Um, Culture wise, you know, clubs have to change. Uh, you heard mm. me talking about Air Golf Club and kids mm. playing Red Red Rover in the bunkers. Like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't grow up in the typical golf culture,
0: which is strict rules, which is. Yeah, tuck dress your shirt codes. in, take your hat off. Yeah. You know.
1: And it's still tuck your shirt in, take your hat off. You know, a mm. lot of that hasn't changed. Um, Did you say even recently or a couple of years ago,
0: you were at one of the golf courses in. Victoria where you're an ambassador and someone
1: uh, yeah there. can you tell yeah me that? Sorry? yeah I popped into the clubhouse really quick to get um, a bowl of water to take out on the course and I didn't take my hat off and you know and part of that is because I've lived in the U.S. so long and people wear hats inside all the time mm. so I just don't take my hat off and I'd literally been in the clubhouse for 30 seconds and someone came up and told <laughs> me to take my hat off <laughs> Curry Webb, (laughs) an ambassador for our golf course. Greatest golfer Australia's ever produced. Yeah, I looked at the guy behind the bar and I said, and you wonder why young people don't play golf anymore. Yeah. You know, know, and I think those sort of rules need to to bend. I Mm. I get, you know, some of the things you really love about golf are also some of the things that have to change and I think we have to be okay with that um, if you want the game to survive. And it's
0: expensive Um, as well. The like it's an expensive sport. Once you've got the club fees and yeah, it is. Let alone then to have to get the sports, the golf specific clothes, as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think some of the problem in clubs too. You 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 think maybe it's just the men, but I think some of the women are just as much to blame for discouraging young girls to play,
2: Mm.
1: Uh, and even women. You know, women taking up the game in their thirties and forties they get so clicky out at these clubs and Mm. they should be welcoming these women in and they make them feel uncomfortable and unwelcomed. Mm. And um, that mentality has to change for for the game to
0: grow. But I always find it interesting because I'm a very confident, outgoing person. But when I go to the golf course, I feel anxious or nervous or intimidated. And I think far out if I'm feeling intimidated in this yeah. environment, I can't imagine what it's like for a junior girl to walk up and, and want to get involved in the game.
1: Yeah. And I I, I I do think there's a shift and there's a change happening, but I, I think it's going to take some time for for that mentality to, to shift in clubs. Um, you know, mm. and as long as the people running the clubs are the ones that have been there for, for years and years, it'll be it'll be hard to shift it. But I, I think it I think it will. And I think there's other avenues with golf now, you know, driving ranges and, and top golf mm. and public courses that really there isn't that sort of feeling around no. those. You don't have to be members of those other clubs immediately. You know, it's something that happens perhaps later. And
0: you also mentioned air not having, being at country golf course. For a long time, there are a lot of the elite Australian women's players came from country yeah. kind of areas yeah. as well. And well, golf I think, courses.
1: yeah, I think um, because we had access to uh, the golf course whenever we wanted, you know, mm. I was out there, especially in high school, I was out there every afternoon after school. Uh, before school my high school backed onto the golf course so um you know I'd stop in there on the way to school and then after school and um but even as a young child like there wasn't a day really that I wasn't allowed to be out there you know maybe Saturday afternoon competition you know I couldn't be on the golf course but I could Mm. be on the practice facilities so I I never experienced that um at all and so I mean we used to play um, state stroke play championships. I remember playing the New South Wales stroke play championship uh, one year and, you know, it's a 72-hole event, which is four days, um, but mm-hmm. it took us five days to play because we played Monday, Tuesday. We had to have Wednesday off because mm-hmm. that was the men's day and mm-hmm. then played Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to have access to those great courses, that's that's what we had to do.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But, yeah, so growing up in a country town, um I, you know, I think that's why I loved loved it. I, there was no restrictions. Yeah, you know, as long as you tucked your shirt in and didn't wear your hat in the in the clubhouse, <laughs> um,
0: you know, we were all good. I think we could do away with those rules and so we'd get more <laughs> juniors in. Um, you've talked about cutting back your schedule. Do you plan to cut back even more? And Curry, do I dare bring up the R word? <laughs>
1: I don't know if you ever really retire from golf. Um, <laughs> I'm old enough to play. Uh, the Legends Tour now. <laughs> um, I've got That's to get my he- <laughs> i got to get my head around that. yeah. it's Legends. Um, it's it's a nice way of saying yes. I'll I'll duck. I was going for veterans. For you, good there. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's something that I can play in I um and I think I will. I don't I don't know if I'll do it this year, but um. Mm. Um, I think I will eventually. And I don't know how much golf I'm going to play this year. I played the Vic Open and the Australian Open in February. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't actually have a tournament scheduled mm-hmm. as of now. I think I'll always want to compete, but I I also, I just can't get my head around just being there to make up the numbers, you know. Mm. The thing is, if I, if I wanted to play full-time right now, I'd still be competitive, and I know that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think... I'm always, you know, I'm always going to have a day where I go and practice and I go, oh, I can still do this. Let's go out and play. But yeah. the reality, and, and I could go out and play a one-off tournament and win it or or have a chance to win it. But the chances of that with the uh, little amount of, I mean, it's the playing part. It's not the practicing part. It's the playing part and being under that pressure. If you do that more regularly, you know, it just it just comes naturally when mm. you're in those situations. So, it, I mean, it could happen, but the chances of it aren't great. And mm. I know that. And I don't know if I just want to be one of the numbers out there. And I don't, I don't want to be congratulated for making a cut. You know, that's mm. not, that's not who I am, and that's not the standard of golf that I have held myself at. Mm. So, um, I'd have to really change that mentality to just wanting to be out there. I mm. think, and I don't. I don't know if that's going to change, Mm. but seriously, when I do play, I love every second of walking through the, you know, through the gates on the first tee and getting (laughs) ready to go. Like I'll never, I'll never tire of that, Um, you know. And so it's great that, you know, health wise, my body is still um, trucking along and I'm still fairly well injury free and you know and I can play the odd ducks to her. So once I once <laughs> legends, I admit legends. that I'm I'm um old enough to do that then um, <laughs> they might see me out there.
0: We um we finish off every podcast by asking our guests what advice they would give their 10-year-old self. So what would you tell little Curry Webb, who's just uh, worked out that she wants to be a professional golfer.
1: Yeah. I I would tell myself to to slow down and to really enjoy it um to really appreciate playing a sport for a living even though you think you're enjoying it really really enjoy it and appreciate it while, mm. you, while you're in the moment and 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 not not wait to reflect on it later kari it's been awesome to have you on
0: on her game thank you so much thanks sam thanks for having me on On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Darcy Thompson, executive producer, Jennifer Goggin.